welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 19th of March 2017, entitled Making Our Church a Great Church, Part 3. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 and 33. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Your Bibles for just the reading of two verses this morning. I'll be short. I'll try to be sweet. <laughs> but I hope that, uh, that it will be meaningful. Acts chapter 4 is where our reading will come from, and uh, as we look there this morning, we're going to look in two verses. That's verses 32 and 33. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 and 33. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Father, thank you again that we can be found in your house this morning, that we have your word before us, your spirit within us. Father, you know every individual that's here, you knew who would be here before we even arrived. So we pray, Father, that you would just work and speak to hearts as only you can. May they hear from you today, not just this man, and we'll give you the thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. If you've not been here the past few weeks, we began a series of sermons from these two verses of Scripture, simply thinking of making our church a great church. We can just be a church, or we can be a great church. And as we begin to look, we're looking back at the first church in Jerusalem at what made this a great church. I remind you this morning that greatness has nothing to do with the number of people gathered in a building. It has nothing to do with the greatness of those buildings and how fine a structures that they, that they might be. It has nothing to do with what the world thinks of us or what the world thinks of our, our church and, and what it is in the world's eyes. We want to be a great church because we're great in God's eyes. And we've looked at a number of things which we can't go back and, and, and look at all this morning, but I remind you that, first of all, if we're going to make our church a great church, we're going to have to have a great purpose a purpose that is beyond ourselves, a purpose that is beyond what we like and what we dislike and what we want and what we don't want, beyond what we think that a church ought to be, but we've got to have a great purpose that is far beyond that. And we saw that in this first church that they had a great purpose. They purposed in their heart, first of all, to obey the Savior, not man, not some denomination, not some man's ideas, but to obey what the Lord wanted for them. We saw, secondly, that they purposed to operate in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, not within their own abilities and education and means, and, but to operate in the power of the Spirit. And thirdly, if they were being obedient to the Lord, and if they were operating in the Spirit instead of themselves, 
than the natural greatness came in the offer of salvation to all mankind. They spoke with boldness. They witnessed of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So if we're going to be a great church, if our church is going to be more than just a church, another church, and, you know, folks, I'm not talking about us being great in man's eyes. I don't mean it in a nasty way, but I really could care less what the world or even the church world thinks that we are. I care very much about what God thinks that we are. And if we're going to be great in God's eyes, then we need a purpose that is way beyond ourselves. We need a great purpose, and that purpose is in Him. But we said secondly last week that not only to be a great church must there be must there be great purpose, there must be great preaching. We don't need great preachers. We don't need personalities. We don't need men that stand out. We don't need men that have some special ability within themselves. We need great preaching. And we looked at what great preaching was in that first church. And first of all, great preaching exalts the Savior. It exalts Jesus Christ. It lifts Jesus Christ up to to be seen above all else and above all others. We looked at a number of illustrations concerning that. Great preaching not only exalts the Savior, but it edifies the saints. You see, there are many gathered here this morning that are believers. You are born again. You belong to the Lord. And young Timothy was given that instruction to preach the Word, to be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. Great preaching will exalt Jesus Christ above all else. It will edify the saints. It will bring food to those saints that will make you better, that will make you more like Jesus. It's not necessarily always comfortable. As Rob shared in his testimony already, sometimes it becomes downright uncomfortable. But it will always build you up. It will always make you more like the Savior. Exalts the Savior, edifies the saints, and whether we like it or not, exposes sin. You can't deal with sin if it's not exposed. It's not a matter of what I think is right and wrong. Christianity is not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship with a person called Jesus Christ. I've got news for you. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ was a propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Great preaching regardless. And I said before, you don't need me. If it comes to the point that this church needs me to exist, then we're not really a New Testament church. If I kill over with a heart attack before the day's over, if God chooses to take me off to Timbuktu somewhere, that should have no effect on the greatness of this church. You just need whoever God wants to be in this pulpit preaching the Word of God. Great preaching is about what's being preached, not about who is preaching it. We've got too many great preachers, great celebrities, great personalities in this world. But a great church has great preaching. You remember the story I told you about the little boy that went to the service and he heard the great evangelist D.L. Moody preaching. 
And he got home that day, and they were asking him, well, what did the preacher preach about? And he scratched his head for a moment. He said, well, he preached about sin. And he said, well, what did he say about sin? He thought for a minute, and he said, you know, he said, I don't really know, but I know one thing. He sure was against it. <laughs> Do people know that you're against sin? <laughs> you see, to be a great church, we're going to have to have a great purpose, folks. We're going to have to have great preaching. And I want you just to look for a, just a few moments this morning. Verse 33 there that we read said, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great power. If we're going to be a great church, then we are going to have great power. We must have great power. Man has it within his abilities to do a lot of wonderful, grand things in this world. He can do things that we would easily define as being great accomplishments. But may I remind you, the church is not of this world. It is in this world, but it is not of this world. One of the great downfalls, even of those that were part of something that existed, I read years ago, before I ever came to this country to preach, I read of some of those that wondered, why was there such a decline in the church attendance in this country? Why had the churches seemed to lose so much of their effectiveness? Why were less and less people going? Why was the church having less and less effect? Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. They lost their power. You know why? Because they began to operate in their own power. I read from some of the hierarchy of the Anglican church, and I thank God for my brothers and sisters that might be in the Anglican church. I'm just saying some of those that were there because they saw a great falling away. There are more Anglicans in this country than anything else. And when they were asked that question, one of the answers that came back so many times from a number of those that were part of it, that were in the positions to have some kind of an understanding, they said things like this. There was a time when the church stood apart. The church was different, and everybody knew that it was different than the world. Even the world knew. They knew what was right and wrong. They knew what was sin. But the problem is the church tried to become so accommodating that people would feel comfortable when they came in, that they didn't feel convicted of what they were doing wrong, that there came the point that the church was more in the entertaining business than it was in God's business. They were operating in their own power. They were operating in ways that they would change their music to appeal to the world. They would change their preaching to make people feel more comfortable. But he said the problem was there came the point when it was just like any other social gathering. There was no influence. There was no power. What they were doing, they were doing themselves. You see, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When we lose our focus, you see, that was what our purpose is all about, folks. When we lose our great purpose of exalting Him high, 
of edifying the saints. Do you know that revival comes to the saints, not to the world? It's when the saints are edified that they become more and more like Jesus Christ that they are set apart from the world. That's what sanctification is all about. And you see, they begin to give great witness, bold witness of what Jesus Christ has done in their lives. Great power. The word that's translated power here in your Bible, it denotes efficacy. Efficacy, and, and really that, that has to do with having the ability to be able to witness. In other words, with great power, with great ability, with great efficiency, with great efficacy, we find that with great dunamis. The same word we get our word dynamite from. I was thinking when I was reading this passage and I was looking through, you know, we reminded you as we have looked already in this passage that when Jesus was leaving to go back, he told them back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but ye shall receive what? Power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come. And what happens when they receive that power, when the Holy Ghost is upon them? And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus says, when that power comes on you, you're going to be a great witness. Now, oftentimes we think of power as just something destructive. We think that most power represents who can, who can destroy the most. And I was thinking, you know, in the years that I spent in the military, I saw a lot of destructive power. I used to, to be there on the, on the bombing range when those bombs were dropping and big explosions were taking place and awesome power that man can come up with, that destructive power. But it's not all power is not destructive. I can still remember as a little lad when I sat there and, and watched that rocket take off for the, to head off for the moon and to land on the moon one day, the power that it took for that, that vehicle just to break the atmosphere and to go into space. I can remember when I was sitting there watching the first F-15, F-16 fighter going against the old F-4s and, I, and that, just that phenomenal power. I mean, they thought the F-4 was a powerful fighting machine before that. But man, that thing was running circles around it. While it was still trying to get up out there, it was going straight up like this. Man can demonstrate great power in all kinds of ways. We find here that great power. For a church to be a great church, it needs great power, but it needs something beyond the greatest power that man can come up with. It needs an, an ability to accomplish something that is beyond man's ability. It needs something that is so powerful. And you see, there's only one source for that power. And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And with great power gave the apostles witness Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. And you know, I've said before, God doesn't call everybody to preach. He doesn't call everybody. 
to teach. But he calls everybody to witness. To witness. You know what you have to be to be a witness? You can go into even, even in man's courthouses and you can go in there. I hope you haven't been there too much, by the way. <laughs> but you go into a courthouse if you're going to take the stand. Then you have to promise something. You know, you'll either affirm something or you lay a hand on a Bible, you raise the other hand and you'll say, you know, that what? I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You can't witness of a lie. <laughs> you have to know the truth to be a witness. But you know, you get in that witness stand and you can start saying, well, I heard old so-and-so say this and so-and-so told me that they saw somebody do this, do that, the other. Uh, that's hearsay. You can't witness to just something that you've heard about. You can only witness to the truth, and you can only witness to something that you personally experienced. You don't have to be a theologian. Now, in our Bible study time and in, in these Sunday mornings and, and trying to know God better, we've been looking at a lot of those theological terms, especially that relate to the attributes of God and, and what some of those words mean and all that. But you know... You don't have to know any of those words. I'll tell you what you have to know to be a witness. You know, if you've done something in this world and you need to call a witness to be a character witness for you, they have to know you personally. They have to know you personally. You can't vouch for the character of anybody that you don't know personally. You can't vouch for Jesus Christ and who he is if you don't know him personally. You got to know him personally. Okay, so to be a witness, you've got to know him personally. And you know what? You've got to have been there and know exactly firsthand what he's done. If you're saved, you can tell somebody else how to get saved. If you know that you were a sinner and that you've gone before God because it's only by his grace that you can be forgiven. If you know sin can only bring one thing, destruction, death. That's the end of it. There is no other way because sin separates from God and God is the only place that there is life. You see, we use all terms, but in the end, the only place to have life is to be with God. God gave it to us in the first place. We sinned. We separated ourselves. We all face that mortality in this flesh down here. But he wants the sin taken out of the way so that you can experience that immortality again, so that you can be with him, so that you can have life with him. Not to be with him is to be without life. It's death. It's death for all eternity. It's complete separation from God. Because only with him can you have life. You see, if we're going to be a great church, and we can be, I don't care if anybody else ever knows it except God, I believe that it will be great in the fact that it will have a greater effect on our community and our city and even around the world. But if that's going to happen, we need great power. And I'm telling you today, there is no power anywhere in all this world that will help us to be a great church except when we realize that that was the power that they had to wait on. Why did they have to wait for Pentecost? Because that's when the Holy Spirit was coming. Why did they have to? You know, Calvary will never be repeated. Pentecost will never be repeated. Jesus died for our sins once and for all. The Holy Spirit came on Pentecost to empower the church. But the Bible teaches us now that the Holy Spirit, when you come to know Jesus Christ, he comes into your heart. He dwells in you. 
He seals you until the day of redemption. As a matter of fact, he goes as far as to say that if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have him. You can't have a relationship with God without the Holy Spirit being present in you. But there's a whole big difference in having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit and him controlling your life instead of your flesh. When you have God, you have his presence. He lives and dwells within you in the person. So, you see, this is not a power that is off out there somewhere. It's not a power that you any longer have to wait. You don't have to tarry for 40 days or 50 days or anything else for the power to come. You have to give in to the power that's already within you in the Holy Spirit that now lives and dwells within every believer. You've heard me say many times, John chapter 14, <laughs> You know, why could Jesus say when he was trying to prepare his disciples for his departure? Why did he say greater works than these shall ye do because I go unto the Father? Greater works than these shall ye do because I go unto the Father. And later he said, because I'm sending another, another paraclete, another comforter, one to come alongside you. The Holy Spirit, the source of the power that will make us a great church. If we're going to be a great church, it's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not some entity out there somewhere that we need to gather, that we need to get here, that we need to wait for. He's within us. The power comes from within. He needs control of our lives. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we find that the source of the power that will make us great is a source that comes from Him and from Him alone. But not only the source of that power, but the sustaining of that power. You see, we can't make the power. What I'm wanting you to grasp and understand, the power is all of God. And that's why even those early apostles, before the Holy Spirit even came to the church, they had to wait for that day for the Holy Spirit to come before that they could fulfill the work that he called them to do. They did wait. He came on Pentecost. And now you and I are commanded to be filled with that Spirit, to be controlled by that Spirit that lives and dwells within us. The source of the power is the same. Those in the early church were filled with the Spirit. They were faithful in their service. In this same chapter, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Well, that's what he said again. Exactly what he said was going to happen in Acts 1.8. It's exactly what was happening. And it says here, when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, they spake the Word of God with boldness. Folks, you don't need a second working of grace. You don't need a second Pentecost. You need one Calvary. You need to go to Calvary. That's the only place to get forgiven of your sins. And you need God's presence in your life, which happens when you give your life to Him. But it is up to you, that sustaining of that great power, the filling of the holy power. You know what? Some people kind of see the Holy Spirit as some kind of uh, an essence of something. Like I can get more of this. I can have a half a glass of water, but I can get more of it. He is a person in the Trinity. We have a triune God. The Holy Spirit is just as much a person as God the Father and God the Son. You either have him or you don't have him. 
He is a person. You don't get him in bits and parts and get an arm here and a leg there and something else some other time. You have him or you don't, and if you don't, you don't belong to God. But you sure need him to control your life. You need to be filled with his power. You need that power from within to control your life, to take control of your life rather than your flesh. We find that one writer put it this way. The power of God in the church is dependent upon, he says, four things. One, a converted membership. Do you know that you can have the biggest crowd in all the world, but if they're not born-again Christians, the Holy Spirit's not going to be in that church because the Holy Spirit is in the people. This church is the people. It's not the brick and mortar. It's not the building. If anybody gathered in this building, if they don't have God in them, then it's just another building, another social meeting. A great church must have a converted membership. That's why you read our statement of faith as a church. We don't know anybody's heart. But in order for you to become a member of this local fellowship, you've got to confirm to this church that you are a born-again Christian. We're not interested in building numbers. We're interested in God's people being joined together in one mind, one heart, one accord, working together for His cause. A converted membership, a clean membership. You see... Even as Christians, our sin separates us from God. We've already looked at the fact that our, our sin will keep us from being filled and knowing that power of the Holy Spirit within us. We're sanctified by the Word. If we confess our faults, He is faithful and just to forgive us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've got to confess your sin. But He is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins, if you'll go to him. A converted membership, a clean membership, a consistent walk of faithfulness. I asked somebody one time, people talk about being faithful, being faithful, being faithful. And I don't think anybody goes around saying, I want to be unfaithful. And I've said before, you know what? If I see you every service, or if I see you twice a week, or if I see you once a week, or if I see you once a month, I thank God for every opportunity that I get to see you in our presence. I mean that with all my heart. But some people think faithfulness means when it's convenient, when it's easy. You know, I asked this question one time some years back. I wonder how faithful you would think that your hot water heater was if it worked six days out of seven instead of all seven. <laughs> What about on that seventh day when it wasn't working? Would you think that it was being very faithful? No, I'm just saying, if we want to be a great church, it's going to require a converted membership, a clean membership, and people that are, have a consistent walk with the Lord and are faithful to Him. And of course, to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, and I'm going to give you this passage in closing this morning. Matthew chapter 7. He tells us in verse 7 and 8, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. The question is, do you have the kind of boldness that the first church had? Do you have that power that only comes from God? 
Now, if you want to know all the ins and outs and the things, I mean, we've done whole series for, oh, I forget how many it was long on the, on the Holy Spirit, and I'll be glad to print those off for you. But we're trying to look simply here this morning that one of the great things that made this church a great church was the great power that was not their own. And that power, the only source of that power is God himself. And the way that that power is sustained is for you keeping yourself clean, submitted to him, his power in control of your life, his power, not your own power. And when we have a membership that is being controlled by his power, the greatest power of all the powers, then we can maybe begin to approach being a great church in God's eyes. Father, I know that I've tried to rush through this this morning, but Lord, I believe that as we gather here today, Lord, it's very simple to read these words and to understand that the power that was working in this first church was a great power that was beyond their own. Lord, it was a power that you promised before you went. It was a power that you sent on the day of Pentecost. It's a power that you continue with all of your children to live in, to dwell in. Lord, you're the only, the only hope that we have. And so we pray, Lord, that we would recognize today that that power is in the person of the Holy Spirit, and he is a person. We must have the Lord Jesus Christ to have access to that power. But if we have the Lord Jesus Christ, then we do have the Holy Spirit in our lives. But Lord, we need more than just his presence. We need that power that comes from him filling and controlling our lives. We need him to possess us, every part of us, in every way. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a people today. Lord, if there be anyone here today that doesn't have that assurance of knowing, there is nothing more important than knowing that they have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what it's all about. That's what our church is about. That's what our personal witness is about, is witnessing of Jesus Christ, his great love, his great sacrifice. So I pray you'd speak to that one this morning that needs that. And Lord, in every life, help us to answer an honest question. You know, are you truly controlling our lives right now? Do we really want you to? Help us to answer honestly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.